0: After we realize how poorly the salesmen were treating the customers and the customers are, are the bosses we decided to switch our tactic and we get rid of the sales team and we only had customer service people that were paid a salary to make ensure the customer satisfied the entire process and we even put in many metrics to hold them accountable including the customer service manager would call the customer a week after the vehicle delivered and ask them about their experience and so forth. We use that in our training process as well. So, yes, it was very, very competitive. But what we used, as I said previously, was the technology to text the customer,
1: to communicate with our team better. We use Ring Central From Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is UpTech part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farah. All right, well, this is Chike Farrell here for another episode of the Uptick podcast where we feature Caribbean innovators live, whether entrepreneurs or corporate innovators or anybody who's really trying to to fly the Caribbean flag and push things forward and and represent the Caribbean on a global stage. And season two has been really interesting because we've been exploring themes around purpose and perseverance and pivoting or evolution. And, And it's been a fascinating season as we've gone along. And I'm really excited today to welcome um, Jay Ward. So welcome, Jay. Really, really excited to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you, Chike. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to um, speaking with you as well. Yeah, well, this is great. You know, I think you know, you've done, you know, some really interesting things, a really good example of, you know, as I said, representing the Caribbean flag and represent the Caribbean on a global stage. And before we jump in, I want to recognize the sponsor for today's episode, Guardian Life of the Caribbean. They have a solution to a need that many organizations have, which is called Keyman Insurance. We When you think about it, as an entrepreneur or someone who's driving a fast-growing business, Really, the foundation of your success is your people. Your great people become an invaluable resource to the business, and they really push your organization forward. Now, without these key people, your business might still exist, sure, but it most likely will not be as innovative and as hard-charging and forward-thinking as before. And you see, if this happens, particularly in unexpected circumstances where critical illness or death occurs, then Guardian Life of the Caribbean has introduced Keyman Insurance as a solution to this need. You see, Keyman Insurance is a policy that a business can take out to ensure their most valuable employees. You can think of it as life and critical illness cover for those who are really crucial to your company's success and that could be the CEO that could be your top sales guy or gal this could be someone with a really specialist skill set and if any of these people were to God forbid suddenly die or fall ill the key man insurance policy can protect your business against some of the financial repercussions it pays out a lump sum directly to the business and this can be used to cover the cost of any profit losses replacement staff or other scenarios that you will kind of find yourself jumping into so it can really help keep you afloat during a really difficult time and for some organizations this could be the difference between your survival or closure. It perhaps is even more important to look at investing in key man cover when you're relatively small or a new company or when you're in the midst of a growth trust that's really uh, driven by a particular person or persons because this could be when you're most reliant on your staff and losing a key member could really be the difference between failure or success. And you might also find that in some cases, your bank might ask you to have Keyman Insurance if you're applying for a loan. So this really addresses an important need. So I want you to check it out, Keyman Insurance from Guardian Life. For more information, log on to myguardiangroup.com. Now, let's jump into the show. So tell us about your company tell us the name tell us uh, you know how long you've been doing it and and what your company focuses on Our company
0: is called ONASSIS Auto Transportation that's O N A S S I S Auto Transportation and it's a automobile transportation company So most people do not know that in America tens of millions of vehicles are transported on trucks uh, annually whether this be a wholesale car dealer selling to an individual, or whether it be baby boomers, snowbirds, uh, as they are called, traveling from the warm states, the cold states, sorry, like the tri-state to Florida or the tri-state to California to escape the weather. So we transport, we would hook somebody up with a trucker. So for example, uh, Shikesa, say you're in Seattle and you want your Rolls Royce to, to be transported to New York, you would go online and Google our company and you go online and get a quote. Um, it it text to your phone or you can email us, you can call us and you would tell us the date you want your vehicle to be picked up or delivered. And we will provide you with the options. But basically we'll come in front of your door after inspecting your car, we'll put your car on a truck or inside the truck. That's for an enclosed And then the driver
1: will truck it down to New York or California or anywhere in the States. So you're kind of in finance and logistics, which is kind of an interesting kind of, you know, combination of things to kind of be working on. So what were some of the challenges for you, as you said, you know, kind of like initially, I think I'm always kind of curious about that in terms of kind of like establishing your reputation and and kind of garnering respect um, that you kind of had to overcome and tell me a little bit about some of the ways that you were able to kind of grow and develop, you know, across the course of that journey. Definitely, definitely.
0: Some of the challenges is that there's a big cultural difference. So I was born in Guyana, which is a British colony. I moved to America, which is from the British point of view, a rebellious former colony. My wife is from St. Lucia. So that's a former French colony. I was born in a low income community that in my opinion had a lot of negative social economic stuff going on. And I was able to Work my way up to a very um, successful lifestyle and house and so forth in Florida and driving Mercedes and that kind of stuff. So it was very challenging. One of the challenges was the perception of all Blacks. Um, that was a problem. So what do I mean by that? I mean that, in my opinion, after living in America for over 15 years from different coasts, the African American who are, who they're Parents and their grandparents were born in America versus the Africans who are descendants of Caribbean people, Trinidad people, Guyanese people, Jamaicans, so forth. These are Jay-Zs, Busta Rhymes, the Marlies, so forth, so forth, so forth, Biggie Smalls. They behave and they act. In my opinion, I can see a big difference in how they carry themselves. Um, and the problem was me going into that culture the people, the Italians, the Italians, the Germans, these type of people, when they look at us, they cannot tell an American black from a Caribbean black from an African black. So they treat all of us the same. How did this come into play? Let me give an example. I would tell somebody I'm gonna be at a place on th- at this time, at 1 p.m. And uh, 100%, I'm gonna be there at least 30 minutes before. However, I would get this reaction, if there's a miscommunication with the time, and somebody air, someone air, or if someone come there 10, to or quarter to one, and then they think they're gonna be early. I was there like half no earlier, so I keep getting the um, different comments referencing that black people are always late the, um, the CP time. Um, so that is one example of the um, negative stereotype.
1: That I had to overcome. Right. You mean, so, yeah. So as you were kind of like progressing within the organization, you know, there were stereotypes that you, you know, kind of had to battle against and kind of demonstrate some difference.
0: I want to say a big one. A big one was I am six foot five. I'm 240 pounds. I'm a big guy. I have broad shoulders. I'm a accountant. So I'm very serious. So people believe that all of us settle disputes physically or with violence. So, me being very big, people used to be very, um, they were intimidated because they fear uh, I am one of these athletes who who can't uh, resolve problems um, in a
1: legal manner. Interesting, because you kind of talked about growing up in Workmanville and, you know, you said, hey, it was, you know, maybe a lower income area. And I was curious, like, you know, to get to the things where you went to, you know, went to really good schools, what was that like?
0: Great question. Um, thanks for asking that. So, it was definitely a struggle to get to where I am today. And um, so this is how our neighborhood, our community was. We did not had we did not have playgrounds. We did not have parks and uh, soccer balls and basketballs and these type of things for the kids to cultivate discipline or develop their skills because of the lack of uh, infrastructure or even human capital, uh, counselors or mentors in the community. So that's where I grew up. And uh, putting food on most people's table or uh, clothing on their backs, that was a struggle. And I used to go, I used to walk to primary school, Scala Maris, this is outside of my community. And the kids that were going there, I was going to school with uh the president's grandson, Chetty Jagan, Ju- Jagan Jr., I was going to school with generals in the army, their sons. I was going to school with uh, Shiv chandra Chandrapal, and Sarwan, and these type of these caliber of people, who they had the resources. They used to come to school with, with, uh, with cars. They drove into the, the to the to the driveway and. C- they got picked up back for lunch and, and the whole nine miles we walk in. We did not have the textbooks, the required reading materials or compasses or painting materials that we needed to uh, learn better or develop um, the different stages. So those were the obstacles. And uh, uh, in I remember in studying for CXC in high school, they would give you homework and they would reference the books. Uh, check, check out this book, this chapter, bring the homework. But of course, we have no books. Or if we have if you need 10 books, we had two of two of the 10. Okay. So that was it was like growing up in a low income community. So through the years, I was able to excel academically as well as in sports, and develop real discipline. But the problem was still, uh, at 20 years old, 19 years old, I had no job that I could go in to make use of my qualifications, O-levels, A-levels, CAT as accounting qualifications, and the ACC I was studying. So I did not have, here I am, a young uh, black guy from a, low-income community that struggle and go through a hard process to develop myself and my skills. And as a young adult with ACCA qualifications, I'm applying for jobs and they're telling me, hey, we don't have jobs for you. And the few that would look at me, they say, hey, you're overqualified on paper with no experience.
1: Yeah, that's that's kind of like one of those classic, you know, Caribbean problems where we have you know tons of qualified young people sometimes coming out and they can't get jobs or there aren't those opportunities. So, so I guess from there, you know, I know you sort of shortly after that when you were around 23, you know, migrated to the US. So, so what was that like? And you know, what was what was that experience like for you? Kind of like adaptation to this whole new environment.
0: It was definitely life changing. Uh, let me give an example in Guyana at a time. We would play basketball for many months, and the trophy we would receive as an award for first place or me, the MVP, the trophy was about 12 inches high. That's it. Okay. Um, in America, I had nephews in Brooklyn, New York, 16 year olds, 17 year olds. They're doing summer leagues for a month. And when they win a competition, the trophies are six foot tall. Okay. Six foot tall. Um, I played amateur, amateur leagues in uh, the States. And the way these, the resources they're given um, for talented people at any level in America is mind-boggling. So um, it was definitely a cultural shock for me um, getting adjusted to working at uh, American companies like Panasonic and State Farm and so forth. Um, but it was definitely... Life-changing in a positive way, and I all going to the states and all the wonderful
1: experience for making me into the man I am today. So now you're you're in the states, you're in New Jersey, and you you kind of start kind of getting opportunities at some, you know, pretty well known companies. Um but I guess you kind of get your bigger break in terms of the ability to kind of showcase your capabilities and so on at uh it's a company called Telebrands, right? So what were you doing for Telebrands initially, you know, when you started it, and then kind of how did that progress over time?
0: Great, great. Awesome. Um definitely. So at Telebrands, um where I worked for 10 years, uh, initially when I was hired, it was to do accounting. That's it basic accounting, I would do accounts payables, accounts receivables. I would make a few journal entries, um, regular accounting stuff. Fortunately or unfortunately, well, unfortunately for the company at the time, the company was now emerging from bankruptcy and after doing 80 million the prior year. So out of bankruptcy, no one would extend them credit. Their records are a mess. They have to launch new products. They have to go and rebuild uh, relationships that that are important for the industry they're in. And here I am, six months into being a new migrant, I'm put in a position where if someone in marketing needs assistance, they're like, hey, uh, Jay, can you assist us with this? If someone in logistics need assistance, they're asking me for assistance. And my boss, who was, I believe he still is, the CFO, We had a group of experienced people that understand the retail business, the um, logistics, finance, and so forth. And I had the pleasure of wearing multiple hats um, over the 10 years, um, whether it be finance or the supervisor of logistics um, or working with products directly. Um, so it was an amazing experience.
1: You then made a pretty interesting leap, <laughs> right? From, you know, kind of being on the corporate innovation side and growing with a company and, and building there to, you know, moving from from New York to Florida without, without necessarily having it all figured out right as you did it um, and then ending up in the entrepreneurial space. So, so tell me about that move and that decision and, you know, what led you to swap New York for um, South Florida other than, of course, you know, <laughs> great weather and um you know and all the other things but but tell me a little bit more about that so chiki at telebrands i
0: so i have three kids i have three kids and the two older kids they were born when i was employed at telebrands okay and um my wife saw the best doctor in New Jersey. Um, they stayed at the best hospital when she gave birth. She had like she had a room like Beyonce. She had I kid you not. She had a room like Beyonce. It was amazing. I had a bed to sleep next to her when she gave birth. Afterward, they took care of both of my kids, and I did not. I did not come out of pocket more than a thousand dollars okay and that's probably like eighty thousand dollars of uh, expenses and I didn't come out of the pocket a thousand dollars I also had knee surgery done with uh, the New York the same doctor that does surgery for New York Knicks guys did surgery on my uh, meniscus and um, and my ACL and again did not come out of the pocket and got the best treatment money could buy so from leaving a comfortable job that took care of that the the check arrived two times a week, a month, in my bank account, direct deposit, knowing that any healthcare related issues are taken care of, Um, having my Saturday and Sundays off and so forth. From switching that to go into the entrepreneur life, it was a big, big jump and a move. But the reason that I, I decided after discussing with my wife to move there is because we have these big goals and dreams and we believe that the change in our environment to a new environment, South Florida, with new pastures and unchartered um, territory for us and different cultures that's different from the Caribbean culture and the Italians and, and, and the Spanish people and so forth. We believe that um, and we, with Florida being the hub that it is and the amount of human capital that's there, uh, all the major firms... Um, The tech firms or law firms or accounting firms or so forth have offices in um, South Florida. I've worked with Pricewaterhouse. I've worked with other big international law firms out there. So they have um, a good business hub. It's very multicultural and different from the narrow culture I was exposed to at the time. Um, And most importantly, our dreams of uh, me and my wife, we had big dreams and big goals of buying big homes and big cars and traveling the world and so forth. And that's the only way we thought, making that leap, uh, one quantum leap and making one jump. Uh, We thought that that was the best way to do it. And um, we um, never look back and it's been awesome.
1: So you kind of ended up into where you kind of went entrepreneurially in, in kind of a unique way, right? So you were, so tell me a little bit about that because you, you had challenges transporting your car from New Jersey to, to Florida and you're like, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way. So, so, so tell me a little bit about the insight that you had as you were going through that experience.
0: Definitely, definitely. So just some context, GK. So what happened is I worked with the biggest company in America. It's called C.H. Robinson. So I worked with them. I was the, the rep for them for over uh, five years. I worked with freight forwarders. These are big containers. Take uh, big freight, big, some looking like warships that took containers to and from the Orient, China and what have you, and brought it to the States, West Coast, East Coast. So I worked with different segments of transportation, So I know what a good customer experience is supposed to look like. Uh, When my wife and I was transporting our two vehicles at a time, and we had home furnitures as well, TV, beds, uh, what have you, the experience was horrible. It was horrible. The first person we talked to told us they're the trucker. Then we found out that they're a lead provider, a marketer. Um, Nothing wrong with a lead provider, but... They weren't transparent. They were very sleazy. The second person we talked to, we thought it was the trucker because they told us that they took two hundred dollars deposit from us. It turned out that that was a broker. That was a middleman. Then the third person we spoke to, that was the dispatcher, the trucker, and the, they already had our vehicle. the The customer service was non-existent. They wouldn't call us back. They li- leave the vehicle late, so it was very, very um, bad experience. So that prompted me to do some research. After I reached Florida, I called around. I spoke to people directly. I did some online research. And then I went and interviewed for several companies um, to see what the process is like. And I eventually went and consult with one of them for several months um, before deciding to go into
1: business for myself. Got it. So what was your thinking? You were thinking, hey, you know, I'm going to kind of like get a view of how it works from the inside, or, or you were kind of just building your understanding of the space before deciding that you wanted to go, or, or did you sort of know, or did you kind of fall into it, you know, as you were kind of going through the experience of talking to people and, you know, starting to consult, and then you just felt like, no, I have to go do this.
0: So to step back for a minute, when I was moving to Florida, I had been in America for 10 years. I worked at many different companies. Telebrands, State Farm was a site thing I did over time. Panasonic. I also did a lot of little hustles here or there. Um, regular stuff, nothing big. I also stopped being a prima donna. I was just looking to make money to maintain the lifestyle that me and my wife got accustomed to. And I know that I had at this point, not just the theory of business and doing little businesses little hustles, I know I actually went through the process from building a company from $80 million to $600 million, $600 million, I know have a deep understanding of how hard, how challenging, the amount of anxiety and the amount of emotions and all that's involved in building and maintaining a company. So when I went to Florida, I was using my skills. I developed some very good high performance skills that I know it was money in the bank. I knew logistics. I knew accounting, I knew finance, I knew a lot of different things, and I also looked good in a suit. Um, I understood being on time, I understand, I understood at the time, when I say I'm going to do something, I need to do it. So I understood the culture of the corporate. um, I was a full-fledged high performer at that point. So when I went to Florida, I wasn't thinking, I want to own my own company and be CEO, and I was just thinking, how do I make money to pay the bills. That's it that's it. I had two cars. I have two kids. I have a wife. We live in, in South Florida. It's expensive. We're living. We're, we're traveling. So I needed money. So I, want, I went to consult. And at this point, um, I have consulted with any type of company, supermarkets, you name it, that needed the skills that I had. But I make sure I told them, I do not want to be an employee. I was offered jobs. I told them, hey, I don't want to be an employee. Just Let's talk about it and we can pay me consultant fee based on me achieving um, agreed upon results. So whilst doing that and having the experience I had with the trucking company transporting my car, I decided to look more into the auto transportation business. And then um, after doing research on the line and speaking to people on the phone, I actually went and talked to people. I told them, hey, I want to interview. And then when I started talking about their business and I asked them if I could help them and we started talking about ways I can help them. Um, so there's one company um, we agreed on some metrics and some outcomes and I consulted with them for several months before deciding to open my own transportation company.
1: That's really great. Cause it's a great way to kind of learn, you know, the the space that you're gonna ultimately go into in a really interesting sort of hands-on way, which which would um really kind of help you, you know, understand the dynamics of the business and so on. So then how did you kind of, you know, start building out your, you know, experience within the area of logistics? Because you know, on the one hand, finance and accounting is pretty well understood and in, in some respects but not everybody then kind of blends that with sort of a logistics side. And that obviously had a, a pretty big impact on your eventual transition into entrepreneurship. So, so how did you build those muscles and those capabilities over the course of time? I would
0: say that I have always had those capabilities and abilities inside of me. I would say that my grandmother and my mom and the church community and the community, the the auntie next door and the uncle next door who would guide you and so forth, I would think that those, that environment, the positive of the social dynamics you grew up in, um, assisted me develop those things. And then the sports I was a super athlete. A day would not pass without me being building my discipline and and so forth um, from sports. And in sports, playing basketball, I was captain of teams and so forth. And I was being captain of team while studying for CXE and O-Levels and CAT. And um, I did mathematics and I did um, economics and I did accounting and so forth. So I always could have think critically about anything and I could have my hands around or my mind around a big project. And I had this thing, Paul and the stamina from um basketball and the child the life challenges growing up. So I learned um any big problem I could start it and stick with it and ask questions and get mentors and ask people who did it before. And and today there's this thing called Google. It's pretty um it's
1: pretty it's pretty neat. That's right. You, you can learn it all. So no, that's, I mean, yeah, that's powerful because, you know, you really have to, you know, in some cases, as I said, you know, you think about this area of logistics, which is really about breaking problems down in, in many ways to to smaller constituent components. And, uh, but, but what I, what I kind of take away from that is that, you know, you feel like, like a lot of your experiences. You know, it wasn't so much about learning any specific thing to get there, but having sort of lots of influences along the way. And you know, I want to give another shout out to Guardian Life of the Caribbean, our sponsor for today's episode, and talk a little bit about another solution that they provide, which was really their pension solution which is a really interesting thing because I've actually had more employees recently start coming and asking about what the company can do for them in terms of, you know, helping them to advance their retirement and other goals. And pensions can be a way that as an employer, you can kind of help to you know, set up your employee's future or the next stage of their life after they leave your company, um, or if, you know, something should befall them that, you know, requires a benefit to be paid to their dependents. Again, like I said before, employees are really the most valuable asset of any business. Um, And so Guardian Life is really partnering with companies to help them set their employees up with real powerful financial planning for the future, including pension plans that can help employees and their dependents after retirement or in the case of an untimely death. Of course, pensions have existed for a long time and, you know, they've been really uh, proven to be pretty useful financially for a lot of people. Um, Now they can be actually unregistered or registered and they can have a number of different advantages where, for example, if people reach retirement age, they will, you know, generally experience a reduction in income. So a pension can make up for some of this loss of income in retirement. So it kind of has an income protection value. They can also provide, as I mentioned before, protection in the form of lump sum payments and uh, payments to dependents in the event of an untimely death. And they can also provide a certain amount of tax relief, where if you're in Trinidad and Tobago, for example, you can get up to $50,000 a year uh, if it's a registered pension plan. So it's really interesting because this was something that might have been seen before as something for you know, a different era, but it's starting to become you know something that's increasingly more in demand and could be a way that your organization could stand out. So check out Guardian Life of the Caribbean if you're interested in getting a pension plan and exploring this solution for your organization. For more information, log on to myguardiangroup.com. What differentiates one company from another? I know you kind of mentioned having a, a really poor experience, but how have you kind of gone about trying to seek differentiation in a business where, well, you know, if, if I can transport you and you can transport um, the same thing and maybe the same way, how have you gone about kind of creating differentiation? That's a great question. Um, I'm
0: glad you asked that. I recall, if I'm not mistaken, um, seeing on your website i think you said modern technology is an amazing equalizer okay so the industry was being run by 60 year old men who they were doing the business since 1980 or 1990 so they were very 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 old-fashioned so what we did is after examining the business models and see what they're doing um, see how they're treating the customers. They're treating it like real, real truck. They don't care that the customer expectations raised over the years through Amazon and Uber. Um, they don't care. They don't care if the driver is being put in a bad spot. They just know, hey, this has been working for us. We're making the money we're making. Uh, it's very competitive. And when we behave like this, people know they cannot compete with us because there's no rules. It's bare gunslingers. After we realize how poorly the salesmen were treating the customers and the customers are are the bosses, we decided to switch our tactic and we get rid of the sales team and we only had customer service people that were paid a salary to make ensure the customer satisfied the entire process. And we even put in many metrics to hold them accountable, including the customer service manager would call the customer a week after the vehicle delivered and asked them about their experience and so forth. We use that in our training process as well. So yes, it was very, very competitive. But what we used, as I said previously, was the technology to text the customer, to communicate with our team better. We use Ring Central, which helps. Something as simply as we merely improving our communication among the customer service team, what is the sales department or the dispatching department or the accounting department simply improving the communication the life communication uh we use ring central that help us tremendously um, another thing is we communicate with a customer lots of people transporting vehicles they don't want to talk to you on the phone for 20 minutes every minute a day about their vehicle so a lot of the older fellas they prefer to call but because we are open to technology we would use any platform, uh, WhatsApp, Bring Central, Facebook, IG, Twitter to communicate with customers. Customers come to our Facebook page, they ask us for quote. We never speak to them. The ones that accept the prices, we email them confirmation. They pay using PayPal. Um, we have we can process their credit cards remotely and customers love that. They love that. So we use technology as a differentiator and we improve the level of our uh, use technology as well to improve the experience that our customers experience. Yeah, I love
1: that because you know I've um, you know, it's actually in in a recent uh podcast with a, with a gentleman named Schofield Thomas, one of the things that he talked a lot about was his emphasis on customer experience and and really thinking about customer journeys. So I love how you've kind of described that because that is such an important way for people who listen to this or thinking about their own businesses, whether it's larger companies or, or, or starting companies or mid-sized companies. And you know, one of the things you always say is, is, you know, really that focus on customer experience can be a powerful differentiator. So that's that's super that's super valuable. So I'm interested in sort of higher order things this season around, you know, where people are trying to, to take their companies and why they do the things that they do. And I think one of the things that you had said earlier on was that. You know, you'd sort of started off with with a focus on you know achieving that American dream and 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 achieving wealth and so on. But then it sounded like at some point it started to shift to kind of almost like a higher order objective that it was about more than necessarily making making a dollar. So, so tell me a little bit about purpose as it applies to your company. What are you hoping to to do and achieve, and what kind of impact are you hoping to have? Great question. I'm fortunate to be in a
0: position where Throughout the pandemic, I paid all my bills and it was tough. Things were tough, or company got hit, or savings got hit, but we were in a position to adjust and make a lot of moves that um we're not in a bad financial position. So grateful for that. So we want to take advantage of the fact that the chaos out there before the pandemic we were competing and um it was tough. But now it is tough, but there is lots of opportunity for a company who rode out the pandemic relatively well to take advantage going forward. We want to get our sales up five ten million dollars. We we did over a million dollars before, which we're very proud of. But we believe with the with the chaos out there and. Uh, freight companies who are in bad shape or their employees and their teams are affected um, by the COVID, which is a horrible, horrible thing. And I hope everyone, I wish everyone best of health, but the fact remains that it's a very chaotic time. And if when me and my team keep our head on our shoulder, I believe... um, We'll be able to accelerate some of the goals we had for the company and achieve them sooner, uh, increasing sales, potentially going into other areas of freight besides automobile transportation. Um, an example is here in St. Lucia, we've been meeting with uh, BPOs, uh, business processing offices in um, in St. Lucia as well as uh, we rented an office exploring, uh, bringing some of the jobs to St. Lucia for the economic benefit of saving lots of money, one, and primarily. And in addition to that, uh, a lot of the the young adults here, who I believe are in the same position I was 20 years ago, will be able to train them and give them some higher level skills and coaching and so forth, and expertise that they can the ripple effect can be felt into the wider community here in St. Lucia. Um, and of course, being able to provide jobs in a time that is, um, jobs were already tough since the financial crisis of 08, but put the pandemic on top of that and the heavy dependence of tourism throughout the Caribbean. If we could create one job, which we already did, and we we confident based on what we see here, there'll be many more of those. We'll think that, hey, we're making a
1: positive impact on the community and
0: um, be able to give people some here.
1: Give me an example of something that, you know, you've sort of had to change approach and strategy on within your business from when you first started. I'm always interested in the things that people do to kind of evolve over time. So you talked about some really, really cool things that you do, but what things did you sort of start off doing, and they were maybe were working for you fine, but over time, as you listen to your customers, you looked at your operations, what are some of those examples of things that you had to change and tweak to, to create a better business performance?
0: There are so many so many things we had to change and tweak i give you one example was the salesmen our salesmen were doing they were making money so just counting dollars we had salesmen that are doing tens of thousands of dollars for us but as i said their relationship and their relationship to the external company uh dispatchers and so forth it was creating a very toxic culture so we decided to get rid of the entire sales department, not of the sales, the bad apples, the entire sales department, because we wanted a better culture in the long term um, not just the short-term financial the monthly benefit which believe me believe me uh Shike, that um that was definitely a painful decision
1: you know i think that's that's kind of powerful jay because a, a lot of the times and i mean you you know you took a bold move there with you know kind of making a big change in in defense of culture and i've certainly in my entrepreneurial experience and you know with my co-founders at criminal ideas we've had to really kind of make a stand at some point i remember myself being at some point, kind of partway through the journey, pretty disillusioned with you know the company that you built, right? And you're responsible for what your outcomes are. So I think really kind of committing to culture is an important thing that I think most leaders ultimately have to you know have to grapple with, and so on. So it's really it's really interesting that you've kind of had that experience too. You're from Guyana, you live in Saint Lucia, um, you know you live in South Florida, so you kind of you know moving moving around back and forth, which is interesting because you kind of straddle worlds, which is which is always something that that I. I kind of, you know, relate to what are some of the opportunities that you see to help, you know, Caribbean entrepreneurs or, or even, you know, folks in larger companies to access these international markets? You know, based on your experience, kind of moving back and forth so seamlessly across both, what opportunities to help the Caribbean entrepreneurs?
0: What opportunities? That's a huge question. Can you give me an example? Of what you mean by I think
1: you started scratching at it a little bit earlier on when you were talking about kind of like jobs and so on? I think maybe. You know, what I'm kind of curious about is one of the opportunity areas is always, you know, potentially kind of, you know, helping the Caribbean human resource to operate on that sort of like global scale and with with global capabilities. So I'm curious how, you know, through your work and through your business, you're trying to, I want to kind of hear a little bit more about how you're trying to do that and sort of develop, you know, some of the human resources in St. Lucia to be able to set them up for tackling that global level.
0: Definitely, definitely. Definitely. so one example is, of course, I'm sure you're aware of the volcano in um, Saint Vincent. So my team and I, we have a campaign or a project where we're we're aiming to feed the 300 or as much of the 300 Saint Vincians that are here in Saint Lucia as refugees. Um, we're aiming to assist the Saint Lucians as well who may be in a bad position due to recent job losses brought on by the issues out of uh, the tourist sector. And we're not just aiming to take money out of my pocket and feed these people. But since I'm a Rotarian from South Florida, and I've been a Rotarian for four or five years, and I've seen how not just the end result of, let's say, feeding the 300 people, but getting the people from the community themselves involved in feeding themselves. So what we've done, we, we recruited some interns. These are young adults who just graduated from high schools or they have a high school named Hess High School Here is pretty good. Um, or they have a two-year college that they complete business, a two-year business certificate. So they, they know all of these things. Like the other we've been talking about, uh, like one of the guys been talking about creative destruction. He doesn't understand it deeply enough. And I, and I don't blame him. He just have the theory in his brain. But to actually understand that, hey, Although the incubants in St. Lucia want everything to stay the same pre-pandemic, the world is moved on and the business models have moved on and updated and technology have gone a decade. So he don't understand that if the incubants don't move fast enough or not agile enough, it will be a problem it'll be a destructive problem for job losses they can't compete overseas people so forth and he don't understand equally the opportunity that it creates for a young person like himself because he never saw it before so um we're not just feeding the people we are recruiting the young adults out of high school 17 18 or out of the two-year university um and then we're Reaching out to shareholders or stakeholders in the community, people from the Red Cross or Rotary, or people who are already doing their charity work in their own small way. So, we have been putting together for the last um, several weeks, put together a wider team and talking to different sponsors. And we're looking forward to when this can come to fruition. But it's just one example of um, we training the interns and teaching them the skills of organizing and
1: marketing you had a career where you'd have learned a lot of of things and built a lot of skills but then you jumped into you know, to the very cold waters of, of starting a business and you know there's a lot of learning um, and a lot of learning on the job that kind of has to happen with that so so how are some of the ways that you keep on top of new things and kind of sharpen this so I mean we joked around about Google before but but you know what entrepreneurs or you know or, or people do you look to for inspiration you know what, what, what are some of the resources or books that, that have kind of stood out that have helped you build capability? Ah
0: definitely definitely so with the books I would not want to mention any specific Um, Why? Because me looking back on my upbringing, using any one of the texts that most of us have access to, let's take the Bible, for example. Uh, You could find great philosophies in there that you could use about um, and apply it to any part of your life, especially business. Uh, One example is Jesus and um, not worrying about tomorrow and so forth, so forth. So there's many books, ones as accessible as the Bible or many others that, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, that's one, Richest Man in Babylon, or As a Man Think It. Um, and there's many other books that we already know of that if we really get deep understanding of what we already know or were taught, get deep understanding of it and see how it applies and see if we're following um, what we understand about these different philosophies, um, I think it would make a tremendous um, positive impact. But regarding how did I... Lots of learning on the job and some of the ways that I keep on top of my my, my skills. Uh, I'm a member of um, Toastmaster. Now, this is a Toastmaster. You go, notwithstanding the many alms I'm saying, I would normally get a get pop to play $5 for those alms. But um, Toastmaster International, uh, it teaches you to give presentation for business seminars or uh, a bank presentation or interviewing and so forth. I'm a member of Rotary International. At Rotary International, it's... A big of a charity firm like Red Cross, and I work inside where they feed people in South Florida, or they assist people in Bahamas when had a hurricane, or they send things to the Philippines, or here in uh, St. Lucia, they're doing many things to assist the kids get back to school. So being involved in that, it although it's a charity It operates the same way as a Fortune 500 company like Home Depot. They plan four years ahead. They have meetings weekly. They have metrics. They keep people accountable. There's minutes. So it's a lot of organization. So I go to those organizations and I surround myself with awesome people like yourself, um, Chiki. You you worked at Microsoft and these terrific companies. So someone like yourself, I would want to have a beer with or play golf or something like that. And that is one of the ways that I grow and learn and develop my skills. And of course, I have uh, many mentors that are specific to me and my, my needs that I handpicked and I stick to their philosophy and I learned it and I continue to learn it. And when I meet them, I make sure I I use them. I ask them questions about personal stuff or business or what have you. So that's how I've been keeping up my skills and growing and learning.
1: Yeah, that, that's always interesting. It's always a, a tricky thing for folks to kind of figure out. How have you sort of identified and, um, and kind of established relationships with new mentors that you that you didn't know before? This is a personal
0: I understand you're asking me how I've done it. But before I said I say how I've done it, um, I want to say that it's going to be different for everyone and no one should follow my way. My way is unique to me. So I play basketball. I can handle pressure. I can handle um, people talking to me um, rough or giving me harsh, quote unquote, harsh critique or telling me harsh truths. So I know myself very well. My uncle was in the military. I went to Royal Rangers. That's a church. In our church, when I grew up in Guyana, there was the like the scouts, but we call it Royal Rangers. So I was running a lot, a lot of military guys, a lot of, a lot of boxers from gym and so forth. So when I was growing up, um, these are the guys I surrounded myself with. So they were able to assist me or mentor me in Guyana at 17, 18, 19, 20, or so forth. But to your question about the career and the business part, whilst I'm attending Rotary or whilst I'm a Toastmaster, I am not actively looking for a mentor, but if I'm building relationships, high quality relationships, and if uh, Chike is 60 years old and he already accomplished what I want to do, if he owns Rolls Royces and boats and um, he and his family is living great, like, hey, Chike might, might have something uh, valuable to impart and tell me. And it may not be me approaching approaching you and saying, hey, can you be my mentor officially? No, it might be me asking you, hey, let's go and drink a beer if you're available or let's go and let's
1: go and work on a rotary project or what have you. Keep it you keep it organic, which is which is great. I think that's one of the things that's always like a little bit, you know, challenging for people in terms of you know, how do I Build and develop those relationships, and I think what's what's interesting about what you've said is that you just found ways to kind of keep it pretty natural and organic. But then, and, and I think you said something pretty, pretty important, which is I build, you know, quality relationships, and then and then sort of let it go from there. Correct,
0: correct. I know myself well. I know myself well. That's first and foremost, and then I keep it organic, as you said, to the people that are. Already involved in passions that I'm I'm associated with.
1: Yeah, great. I'll ask you for kind of one one last thought for the the entrepreneurs, the innovators, the the Caribbean folks out there who are you know pursuing a dream or or trying to get started. You know, what would be one or two key thoughts that you'd pass on from from your experience um, if you could kind of go and talk to your you know your younger self again that that they could learn from?
0: I would say to be yourself. I will say 100% be yourself. Uh, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? I mean that Caribbean people, we are multicultural. We are Indians. We're Africans. We're mixed. We're we're many things in between. We're Chinese and so forth. And different parts of the world might receive your accent or your look with surprise. If you're black and you go to Spain, my wife is six foot tall, beautiful black woman. She went to Spain. They're astonished by she being black and six foot there they rarely see people like that me speaking in america people don't know if i'm from africa or not but if you are being yourself and your full authentic self you would more likely attract people that are more genuinely and sincerely looking to build relationships with you and that's an amazing thing to um, always remember to be yourself and the second one i would say is that These information that you're providing is tremendous. Um, Your website is great. And uh, the experience you bring from working at companies like Microsoft and E&Y and so forth, all the best companies in the world, um, is 100% top-notch. They do not have better information or well-organized information. Better organized information, in my opinion. They probably have eco, but nothing better than this um, on the internet for us. That being the case... I would like to emphasize that the more important thing is the intangibles, the grit, having HUSPA or having emotional bank account to really um, deal with the highs and lows of being in business. Uh, Right now, I'm I'm refinancing my Florida house, my Florida house, which is over half a million dollars. I am closing on a a real estate deal in St. Lucia. After this, I'm going to be on a virtual call for my two-year-old son birthday and so forth, so forth. So um that's a lot of, I'm running a tripping company from Florida as well. So over the years, I've developed the emotional bank account and the grit. And now looking back, I would say that that's definitely be yourself and, work on developing your emotional bank account.
1: I love that. Well, great. Well, you know, Jay, I mean that's, I think that we we could not have a better place to end off those are two powerful insights that I that I know will have, you know, value for for anyone who who is listening. So I want to thank you for the time and for, you know, coming and having a chat with us and being part of the of the UpTick uh, podcast and I wish you, you know, great luck as you kind of go and move on to to the next exciting phases of of your journey.
0: Definitely, man. Thank you for having me and it definitely is a pleasure.
1: I'd like to take a moment to thank Guardian Group for sponsoring today's episode. They've built their reputation around first-class insurance products, many of which are great for entrepreneurs and innovators who are out there. So it comes as no surprise that they have a cool product called Keyman Insurance in their product portfolio. You can check out this product and more at www.myguardiangroup.com. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.